In the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place and let the earth dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees for every kind of earth that bear, every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light of rule, to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of the every kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind and the cattle of every kind and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work he had done. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. But you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his armies, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his chariot drivers. The angel of the Lord, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel, and so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the light. One did not come near the other, all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them. 
all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, and the waters formed a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then the prophet Miriam, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dancing, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. Let us pray. Reading from Ezekiel. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. A new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove from your body the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and make you follow my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Then you shall live in the land that I gave to your ancestors and you shall be my people and I will be your God. A reading from Romans. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too must walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that he will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. 
but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the first day of the week at early dawn, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home amazed at what had happened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Please be seated. This is a service unlike any other in the prayer book that we can celebrate all year long because, of course, we gathered in darkness just as the women did, waiting for the morning to break. They gathered ready to visit the death of the one they knew. They gathered to honor his memory completely unprepared for what God was able to do. We gathered ready to celebrate the history of salvation that God has done throughout Scripture beginning in the creation of the world. And we hear in Genesis 1-1 that when God created the world, the world was already here. It was messy. It was chaotic, and in the Bible, water is always a symbol of entropy, of the chaos that threatens to destroy and take life from God's people, of the chaos that threatens to make everything a mess instead of allowing everything to be itself. An image of chaos. Three years ago, when my daughter was one, she loved to go to a playground about half a mile from our house, and I would push her in a stroller. I would take Maggie the dog. And one day, she was just over one, could walk, could barely talk. There she was in her fleece pajamas on a warm summer day. (laughs) And we saw a cat. My daughter has always loved cats. It was orange. And she dismounted from the stroller and started to call the cat over. Now, cats, being wise animals, are afraid of children naturally, so it was not coming. (laughs) But I thought, you know, this is a special moment. Here's my daughter reaching out to creation. So 
I put the brake on the stroller, the industrial brake, and I tied the dog to the stroller. This is Maggie, the wonder dog, after all. And I came to the cat, and I brought my Emery close to me, and the cat started to come. It was about as far from me to the Paschal candle when all of a sudden the waters of the primordial earth were evident. <laughs> the dog lunged for the cat. <laughs> the dog was tied to the stroller. The brakes were on. When I say the dog lunged, I mean she lunged and so the stroller followed her. She was taken aback by this falling stroller, so she bounded more and more, and the stroller kept following her. Her tail went between her legs. She was horrified, and she started in fear to have a potty accident, even as she ran from the stroller. And Emery stepped back and looked at the dog and the cat running away and screamed. And the world was like that before God started. <laughs> and we hear then in Genesis, whether we realize it or not, see the rabbi and the Bibles are not interested in where evil came from, but they say what God has always done is created order out of chaos, created life, created the opportunity for light and darkness to be separate instead of combined, created the opportunity for water and sky and earth to be separate instead of a mess, created the opportunity for birds and fish, animals and humans to be themselves. And beyond that, God has created the opportunity for us to live into the image and likeness of God and to do as God does in Genesis, in the face of chaos in front of us and evil, to create a path of order and life so that all people and all creation can be the good God has created it to be. And we hear again the story of Moses. These are people, of course, who somehow found themselves in bondage and bondage to the Egyptians, and God acted to remove them, and then, just when it seemed like the coast was clear, the forces of evil and chaos and subjugation and domination pursued them, pursued them not just into the desert, but to the brink of the Reed Sea, to the brink of chaos again, to the brink of destruction and evil again. And they said, we'd rather be subjugated than dead. Why have you done this to us? Just as in Genesis, God does something truly amazing. God separates the chaos, the certain destruction and entropy that threaten the life of God's people and makes a path, a path through that is dry. And the people pass through chaos from suffering and domination and subjugation into new life, into, the Bible has a word for that, salvation. And having passed through, God not only guides them, but brings the forces of chaos back on top of the very powers that sought to subjugate the people, so that the powers of enslavement and bondage were destroyed by the very chaos they represented. And of course, we sang that hymn, which is impossible to hear 
outside of 1964. And God invites us. God invites us to tell all Pharaohs to let my people go. To walk through the brink of chaos to the other side where there is new life for the people of God and to let the powers of domination and enslavement, be they in Montgomery or Syria, to destroy themselves. And then we hear the story about what God can do next in Ezekiel. God is able again in the midst of bondage and enslavement, this time in Babylon, to bring about a true miracle, to take a heart of stone. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the heart is not the place we think it is. It is not the place our feelings rest. Our feelings lay here in our bowels. No, the heart is the center of our will. God is able to take a rigid will, bent on living in chaos and destruction and bondage and enslavement. God is able to take even the most unyielding will and soften it and make it alive and give it a feeling for God's own people so that our will might beat with life instead of being rigid and firm, so that our will in the faces of evil and chaos and domination might not throw its hands up and say, I'll never change that. That is something to be endured until heaven when I die, maybe, if all this is even true. No, God offers this miracle that in the face of chaos, we can walk with God through it and bring God's people to the other side and to new life. God can do that to our will. God can only do it to our will, I think, if we read with the Romans passage what God is asking us to do in baptism. It is not just to change our course. It is not like we have a great roadmap and we just simply took a wrong turn and God will just direct us and everything will be fine. It's not that... The diet we feed ourselves every day as we walk through just needs a vitamin that God will give us. And with that new vitamin, we'll be bigger, stronger, leaner, fitter, and God will do that for us and everything will be great just like we wanted. No, Romans tells us the map we're using so often leads not only to nowhere, it leads us to death. And we are to die to the map that we are so used to navigating so that God can give us a new one. We are to die to the map that says, it'd be better if we just put up with enslavement and domination than we take a chance by the waters of chaos. This is a metaphor. God is asking us to so give up this idea of Jesus being our CEO of Jesus being the one who gives us everything we always wanted. If we were just faithful enough, God would give us that Bentley. If we just prayed hard enough, God would redeem our mortgage. If we really meant our prayer, we would get that job advancement we've always wanted. God asks us to die to that. God asks us to die to the idea that God will be on our side. God offers us a map by which 
we can live according to God's imagination. And of course, all of this salvation history is exactly about what happens Sunday morning. Entropy, chaos, domination, evil, of course, that was the experience of Friday. Here was a man who taught truth and gave life, who made people's heads spin, who offered to give them a different map, and then, of course, on Friday, he was gone. And the people who'd heard him talk about God giving a new life for three years, they were looking at their map, their old one. And they couldn't see the destination of Sunday morning on the map because it's not there. And so they went to the tomb. Notice who the faithful ones were. <laughs> the women. <laughs> yeah. Enough said. They went to the tomb. They did not go to the tomb looking for a miracle. They went to a tomb to mourn their hopes. They did not go to the tomb looking for people in dazzling clothes or for a marvelous resurrection. They went to pay homage to despair. And weren't they surprised? So surprised, notice, they weren't really even sure what to make of it. But being women, they figured it out faster than the men. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But do pay attention. The women go, and the tomb is empty, and the clothes are folded up, and they have this mystery, they say, messenger told us that God is not in the place of the dead but to be looked for in the land of the living what can it mean and Peter thinks it means nothing he thinks it's an idle tale an idle tale that God could exceed our expectations an idle tale that God could bring life and order out of chaos and entropy. An idle tale that God could take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. Sounds idle to me, doesn't it, to you? But of course the hope of the day is that tale is not just for them but that that story is for us. The hope is not just that this is something really neat that we do, neat, because it happened to Jesus. Because Jesus was so caught up in God and yet suffered the disappointment and death that many of us have experienced, if not physically, then in relationships, emotionally, spiritually. Because Jesus saw some of his own hopes and dreams dashed because his followers certainly saw their hopes and dreams dashed. Now the hope of the day is that the resurrection of Jesus will happen in our lives and that God will not wait until we're dead to bring about new life. 
The hope of the day is that God will give us a new map, a map that says grace on top of it. A map that says some things that we are living in are worth dying to so that God can give new life. The hope of the day is that there is nothing we can do to grow closer to God. Nothing. The hope of the day is that there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. And there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. The hope of the day is that in the middle of our own Friday wounds, God is able precisely in those places of suffering and death to create order, freedom, liberation, and new life. And the hope of the day is that we might trust. It's easy with Jesus. After all, we've been reliving this story for 2,000 years. We know on Good Friday what's coming on Sunday. What's not easy for us is that we don't know the end of the Fridays we're living. If we only knew that those efforts we're spending with our children would take them to life, we could bear the sleepless nights. We could bear the sick stomachs if we only knew that the argument we're having with our spouse or with our parents, if we knew that if we could just hang on there, God would bring about new life. We could. If we only knew that it worked, that extra bit, that 60-hour week, that was going to make somebody pleased, we could hang on and we could do it. The problem is we so rarely do, and the greater problem is, I think, we're afraid to trust that even in the middle of our woundedness, and I'm not so naive as to say God will take away all our suffering. That's not the story here. The story is in the middle of the cross and in the middle of Saturday, God is somehow able to bring life out of suffering and order out of entropy. God is somehow able, even in the midst of a tomb on Saturday morning, to descend to the place of the dead and harrow hell for all humanity. The question is for us this Easter, will we trust God even in the middle of our struggles and our suffering and our Friday? Not in a naive way, no. But will we trust that God is able to work even these things to the good of those who love God. And in the middle of our trust, the question is, will our faith be an idle tale? An idle tale is something that is neat, frankly. But a living story is something that says to people in bondage and chaos and evil, sometimes ourselves, God will lead us to a promised land if we'll follow. A living faith is one that says to people of the world who are being denied fundamental rights, people in the world who are suffering from sickness and fear and violence and oppression, wherever they are, in Houston, in Syria, in Haiti, you name it, God has a larger life for us and we will go there together even though we are enshrouded with chaos. A living faith says... I will walk with you though it seems impossible and God will guide us 
to the other side. Christ is risen. May our faith be risen. May our faith lives be risen. And as risen says, may we live in a way that is above where we're living now, in trust, in hope, in action, with ourselves and one another. Amen.